Hebrews chapter 11, as we continue our series through the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews that we've entitled The Hall of Faith. These are individuals that God has put within this chapter to illustrate to us how God can use ordinary people in truly extraordinary ways. Often when we find the individuals mentioned in the Bible, we like to sometimes in our mind's eye depict them, of course, in their stained glass setting, right? But one of the elements about the Bible to me that is so fascinating and also very comforting is that the Bible always depicts people as they really truly are. Not only do do they uh, record for us within the scriptures the incredible way in which God used individuals and how individuals obeyed in the face of great adversity uh, to the commands of God and God showed himself strong. But then the very next chapter, you can find someone like Peter, and then all of a sudden, everything's gone sideways on him, and he's not, you know, you're like, is that the same guy I just read about? Now he's denying the Lord three times. You know, the Bible's very transparent. The Bible shows these incredible peaks and climaxes of the lives of the individual, but also demonstrates for us clearly the valleys that individuals walk through. And as we go through the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, we are not extolling these individuals because they have been used by uh, God as uh, examples for us and illustrations for us. We are truly extolling the God who is behind it all. In the hall of faith, God wants you to know him better. He wants you to understand how he worked in the lives of these other individuals and how he can work in your life today. And so we should be encouraged by these things. We should certainly respect these individuals, but understand that these individuals are people just like you and I are. They're individuals that have their flaws. They have their strengths. They have their weaknesses. And the Bible depicts these individuals for us for the purpose of this, that there is only one throughout the Bible that is ever shown as perfect, and that is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he is, the, of course, the shining star of it all from Genesis to Revelation. But as we continue through chapter 11, we find our first female inductee to the Hall of Faith. And it's appropriate that she be uh, coupled with Abraham, for she was Abraham's wife, Sarah, in a message that I've entitled, Sarah Received Power. And it was power to overcome her personal limitations. It was power to overcome her personal abilities and allow God to glorify himself in and through her. I am convinced that if you read through the Bible, you will often discover 
that the reason individuals came to a position or a choice of unbelief rather than to truly just trust and believe God and move forward was due to the fact that they put God in the same boundaries as their own personal abilities and limitations. And as, as a result of that, they cowered instead of uh, standing in courage and moving forward. Think with me back to the book of Exodus. That's one of these books that you read and you have to read two or three times because you see what God does to deliver his people from the bondage of Egypt in such a miraculous and dramatic way. I mean, every time I, I watch it on, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments or the Prince of Egypt, the cartoon version, it's amazing what God has done to deliver his people. And it wasn't just days after being delivered from Egypt that they were already questioning God's goodness. They were already questioning God's personal ability. They were already doubting that he was capable of bringing them where he promised to bring them. And when they finally get to the border of the land in which he is about to give them, instead of marching in triumphantly in the courage and in the grace and in the faith of God, they cower. And they come up with this idea of sending ten spies into the land. You know the story. And eight of them come back and they say, you know what? Well, there are giants in the land. There are giants, and they're green, and they're on the side of vegetable cans. There is no way that we can ever, ever, ever defeat these individuals. But then there was two. And I don't know if these two just got lost on their way back or what, but they came back, and they were carrying this enormous bundle of grapes. And they're looking at each other, high-fiving each other. That's the way it comes off in the Hebrew. And they're like, Moses, no problem. It's cake. That's exactly what they say. They say it's bread. That's the word that's used in Hebrew. But it's a piece of cake. We can take these guys. No problem. Let's go. What are we waiting for? Look at the grapes. Let's go back just for the grapes. We can do this. And yet, the people trembled in unbelief. And they listened to the eight, rather than the two. The majority's voice rang out, and it rang out wrong. And as a result, because of their unbelief, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, traveling in a circle at points in time that they came just miles away from the promised land in which God had promised them. That generation had to die off to allow a new generation that would believe God and trust God to move forward. And what was the problem? They looked at the circumstances. They looked at the trials. They looked at the troubles. They looked at the challenges. And they summed it all up. And they compared it to their own personal limited uh, ability and capability And said, in and of ourselves, we cannot do this. Yes, that's exactly what God wanted to communicate to them. In and of yourself, you can't do it. 
It's something that he continues to communicate to you and I today. In and of yourself, you can't do it. But in me, all things are possible. Uh, He says it to this way to Abraham, who has been now told that through him, not only would a nation begin, but he would have descendants as numerous as the stars of the heavens and the individual grains of sand of the sea, meaning numerous descendants. He's 75 years old at this point. Him and his wife have no children at this point. And God makes this incredible promise to him. And like the other individuals, he immediately considers his own personal, frail, limitless, I mean, I'm sorry, limited ability and capabilities and sums it up this way. Oh, I'm 100 years old. Sarah's going to be 90 by that time. What do you mean? We're not going to be able to have children. It's impossible. Oh, is it? But yet, when both Abraham and Sarah were told this incredible news, this given this incredible promise, they responded in such a mature, godly way. <laughs> they laughed at God. They laughed at God. They laughed at God because what he was promising was so far-fetched from what they were personally capable of doing. And so they laughed at what God had said. If you're with me in the Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. In Genesis chapter 13, the promise is given to Abraham, that he would have descendants and offspring that would be innumerable. We start in verse 14 of chapter 13. And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise and walk through the land and the the length, I should say, and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And so Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mirah, where, which were at Heron, and there was where he built an altar to the Lord. This promise continues in chapter 15, verse 5. Look there with me. And Abraham said, verse 3, Behold, you have given me no offspring. He's talking about this inheritance. He's talking about his descendants. Behold, you have given me no offspring, verse 3, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, this individual of your household, for your very own son shall be your heir. 
And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abraham, given these promises by God while he was 75 years old, and it would be 20-some years further in the future before these, these promises are fulfilled by God. He had to wait even longer. Now again, these kind of promises are outside the realm of human ability. These kind of promises are uh, promises that are made by God that truly only God can fulfill. These promises are like the promises that are given to us in the New Testament and throughout the Old as individuals who follow Jesus Christ and hold to those promises so preciously to sustain us each and every step of the way. The same God who promised these unobtainable things to Abraham is the same God who gives us these unattainable promises apart from him to you and I today. And this God is able to perform everything that he has promised to you and I. In the wake of this, Abraham knew that him and Sarah had no children. That was obvious. He looked for an heir amongst the people around him to receive this promise of God. Abraham and Sarah then got the brilliant idea that instead of waiting on God for God to fulfill the promise that he had made to them, that they were going to take things into their own hands. Now, this is what you call in theological circles a bozo no-no. Okay, that's the technical term. None of you know who Bozo is anymore, do you? Bozo was a clown on WGN at one time, and when he would try to instruct the children, he would say to them that telling a fib would be a Bozo no-no. And we took that very seriously because we didn't want to disappoint Bozo. I told you this message was going to be interesting. Each and every time we are given examples in the Bible of individuals who try to fulfill the promise of God made to them through their own ability, or as we would say it, through the flesh, they always, always, always end up to regret it. It always becomes a greater problem than the initial problem that they found themselves in. They only dug the hole deeper for themselves. If they would have just waited on God, and that's often the narrative of the individual accounts given to us throughout the Bible, if they just waited on God to allow God to do it the way he was going to do it, oh, they could have spared them so much heartache and grief. They could have alleviated the consequences that they now discover themselves within. And how many of us have been there, right? How many of us have known that what we should do and we know what's right to do, and yet we do just the opposite, and we create a bigger problem for ourselves. I know none of you have. Unfortunately, that's the story of my life. But that being said, they took things into their own hands. 
Sarah became anxious that the promise wasn't being fulfilled quick enough. Time was passing. They were getting older. You know, 75, 80, 85, 90. As time lingered on, Sarah came up with the idea, listen, I have a handmaiden from Egypt, and she is perfectly capable of bearing children. I am not capable. I am barren. And this was an acceptable practice at that time when a woman believed she couldn't provide for her husband and heir and offspring, a surrogate would be introduced. And so Abraham succumbed to his wife's advice and took for himself one evening in a moment of intimacy and had a relation with a woman named Hagar, and through that a child was born named Ishmael. Now God said that through the promised child of Abraham would eventually come the nation of Israel, and that through the nation of Israel all the nations of the world shall be blessed, speaking of the person of Jesus Christ. And throughout the New Testament, we hear of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the first child we never hear of again in a positive sense, but more as a demonstration of the work of the flesh that came to hinder the work of the Spirit, the promise of God. And as Ishmael was born, as soon as he was born, and Abraham showed him favor and Hagar favor, Sarah became jealous and said, this, shouldn't, this isn't right. And so Abraham says, well, then we'll send her away. And so they sent Hagar with the child away. God then came in his mercy and grace and told Hagar that through her and her child, many nations would be established. And each nation established through the individual uh, of Ishmael are all the Islamic nations of the Middle East today. And they have become a problem for the nation coming who had come through Isaac and Jacob. And then through the 12 sons of Jacob, the children of Israel. To this day, there is still a problem that resulted from an incident that happened 2,000 years earlier. Another problem. Another issue. God would have us to wait on him. When God promises something to you, it is Him who is going to fulfill that promise. I don't have to take matters into my own hands. I don't have to try to work it out and figure it out for myself. God's going to accomplish what God has said He is going to accomplish. We just need to allow Him to accomplish it in His time. Now, if you continue with me through the book of Genesis, we come now to Genesis 17. And of course, this situation with Sarah and Hagar has come to pass. And if we'll pick it up in verse 15. And God once again reminds Abraham that his wife Sarah will be blessed with a child. And this is going to be the child of promise. And God said to Abraham, verse 15 of chapter 17, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her, and I will bless her, and she will become nations. 
kings of people shall come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face. And what did Abraham do? Underline the, that word if you're into defiling your Bibles. He laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. God said, No, I'm not going to accept Ishmael which was a work of the flesh. This is going to be a work of the promise. This is going to be a supernatural work outside the realm of human ability. And the reason God waited, first introducing himself to God, uh, Abraham at 75, but then waited another 20 years, he wanted Abraham to know for sure that it wasn't Abraham or his personal ability that brought these things about. He wanted to wait, God that is, wanted to wait until everything was impossible on their behalf. This is the same thing he did with Moses. Moses at 40 years old began to realize that he was a Jewish individual and not a child of Egypt. And therefore he saw himself possibly as the deliverer and tried to deliver the nation of Israel apart from God's help and only made a bigger mess of things. He then was exiled. For 40 years further, he spent at the wilderness at the foot of Mount Sinai, taking care of sheep and being a shepherd and marrying there his wife and so forth. And then one day at the 80-year mark, just when he thinks he's finally, you know, maybe on in life and these things have now passed him, God appears to him in a burning bush and calls him back to Egypt again. This time, Moses, when confronted by God and challenged by God and called by God, begins to resist that calling. And the very first thing that Moses does is he begins to look at his own personal ability. I'm not a good speaker. How do I do these things? And God said, you're going to do them because I am God. Because he didn't want Moses to get the attention. He wanted himself to get the glory. The same with Abraham. The same with us. God makes us promises, but he doesn't give us a timeline in which he is then to meet that promise, does he? Not only does God give us promises, but he often challenges us to the point where we understand that the only way that this promise is going to be fulfilled as if it is filled, fulfilled, I should say, through a supernatural means. Leaving us in a lurch. Leaving us in a position where we feel like we're helpless in the process. But God is saying, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to do it. And sometimes God will use natural means in supernatural ways. And other times he'll just do things so supernaturally that all you can do is just cry out and say, God, thank you, because I know that what you have done is truly a work that you have done. 
See, not only does God not tell us the timetable, but he also doesn't tell us the manner in which he would fulfill the promises towards us. Now, I personally would appreciate that. Lord, you've given me this promise. Could you please give me a timeline? When can I expect it? Oh, Lord, if it wouldn't be too much trouble, would you also please let me know in the exact manner in which you are going to fulfill your promise? And that's when God laughs at me. (laughs) No, I'm not going to tell you that, Eric, because that's not going to help you grow in your faith. I want you to wait and trust me to fulfill the promises that I have made to you because I am God and I want to demonstrate that to you. But by this time, Abraham, because time had passed, laughs at the promise of God and immediately brings it into the realm of his own personal ability, doesn't he? I'm 100, she's 90. How is this possible? Oh, just take Ishmael. He's already available. He's already born. God said, no, I'm not going to do that. His laughter in Abraham's case seems to be, oh, I want to believe this, but again, now it's been so long. I'm past the childbearing age. Things don't work as well as they once did. I'm an older guy now, and now you're going to tell me I'm going to have a family. And if I wasn't a problem, look at her. She's 90. But a year later, they come back. If you turn with me to Genesis 18. Verse 9. As the Lord is now coming, Abraham sees him afar off with two angels. He asks the Lord, and I believe this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, which is called a theophany. And as he comes with these angels, they're on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah to judge. They stop to meet with Abraham. And while Jesus is there, he reiterates and assures Abraham of the promise that it will be performed. And as he gives uh, Abraham this assurance, Abraham is dining with them, has uh, Sarah whip up a a little meal for them, verses 6 through 8. And then the Lord says to Abraham in verse 9, where is Sarah, your wife? Oh, Abraham says, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, here Sarah, apparently eavesdropping before behind the curtain, and Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah were old. And to make sure we get the point, they were advanced in years. And the Hebrew is well advanced in years. And the way of the woman had ceased to be with Sarah. She had already gone through menopause. So Sarah left to herself. I love that line. Especially because what comes next? 
they are out of sight, she is out of sight, out of the hearing of Jesus and Abraham as they are discussing this one with another. Sarah hears this. She knows that her body is already past the uh, uh, personal ability to bear and to have children. And Sarah, when she heard this, laughed to herself, saying, I love this. After I am worn out and my Lord is old. Boy, these two, what a great marriage. Shall I have pleasure? Now that word means, is physical intimacy even possible between us anymore? Let alone the joy of bearing my own child. That's what's encapsulated in the word pleasure there before us. I'm worn out. The term means I'm done. You know, I'm older now. I've got other things on my mind. You know, we just moved to the senior living facility. You know, I, I got my pinochle game with the gals on Wednesday. You know, my husband's old. Just look at him. He's old, you know. He's not going to do any better for me. Look at this, what happens next. Shall I have any pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, I love this. Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And here's what Sarah needed to hear and what we need to hear today to help us in our faith towards God moving out of our own personal realm of ability and capability into the uh, omnipotent realm of God. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Jesus is asking this of Abraham. It is a phrase that has continued to be used in the New Testament for us today. Is there anything too hard for God? The only difficulty that God has is the difficulty that we place upon him when we limit him to our own personal capabilities and abilities, right? That's the only thing that limits God that would make something too hard for God. It's when I look at my circumstances through my own eyes and my own ability and conclude I can or cannot do anything about it. And certainly if I cannot do anything about it, then God can't do anything about it. But Jesus just gently asks this question, is there anything too hard for the Lord? If we can get past this today, and we can walk out of here with the mindset that affirms that there is nothing too hard for God, what then is there that we can't believe from God? Nothing. She gets a gold star. Nothing. That's what he wanted them, that's the position that he wanted them to come to. Nothing is too hard for God. At the appointed time, I will return to you, he says, about this time next year, and Sarah might have a son. 
Is that what it says in your text? Shall have a son. Oh, it will be done. It's going to happen. You can take it to the bank. Shall have a son. And she shall have a son, but Sarah denied it. So you know, I, I, I didn't laugh. Of course you did. God just called you out. And he recorded it in the Bible for everybody to read, Sarah. You're called out. For she was afraid. That's understandable. He says to her, uh, and sometimes the English isn't, uh, you know, there's tone and, and uh, nuance in the Hebrew. It's like, oh, no, Sarah, you, you did laugh. You laughed, Sarah. I heard it. This time next year, you shall have a son. Well, of course, this brings us to our text this morning in Hebrews chapter 11, which I bet you thought we forgot. And in verse 11, as we continue in the hall of faith, after reading all that we just have, she is remembered in this way, not for her laughter, but for her faith. In chapter 11, verse 11, the Hebrew writer writes to us, and by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. She had to get beyond herself. She had to see things through God's eyes. She needed to sum up the circumstances of her challenge, not in and of her own ability, but in what God is capable of doing. And when she did, and when she believed that God was capable to perform that which she promised, she then by faith sought intimacy with her husband. This was not the immaculate conception like Mary, where Mary was simply touched by the Holy Spirit and she conceived Jesus. Abraham and Sarah had this child together just like every other child is conceived and born. But she had to have faith to do that. She had to allow that intimacy to occur and therefore allow herself to become pregnant and allow herself to give birth to the child in which was going to carry the promise, this child, Isaac. As one wrote, he says, God always fulfills his promises. God could do it no matter how difficult the situation was. Despite human impossibility, that is irrelevant. Despite the fact that all reason uh, spoke against it. And despite the fact that nature had to be overridden, it was nothing for God to fulfill the promise in which he made to Sarah. And that's the legacy that she leaves for you and I today. And as a result, verse 12 follows. She believed God was capable of bringing about that in which he promised. And therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, clarifying for us that Abraham too was past the age of ability to to have intimacy and to also conceive 
through him who was dead, were born descendants. Through Isaac came Jacob and Esau. Through Jacob came the 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. The nation of Israel is then led into Egypt and 400 years led out from 75 individuals that arrived there in Egypt to about over a million that left. Some say 4 million that left. They became a mighty nation. And then God led them to the land in which he promised Abraham so many years beforehand. When we come to the New Testament, we realize that Jesus Christ was the one that Israel was going to bring forward that all the nations of the world would be blessed. But as you look at the Gospels, this same premise continues. Man's inability to do what God has promised that he would do. For example, when Elizabeth conceived in her elderly years to give birth to John the Baptist... Luke writes for us, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for Elizabeth couldn't have children. But then Luke writes this for all of us to consider in verse 37 of chapter 1. For nothing will be impossible with God. And when Mary heard that, Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. When they came to the ministry of Jesus Christ, and people were confronted with difficulties that were beyond their own personal ability. For example, one individual came to Jesus and he asked first for his, his uh, son to be uh, cleansed of demons that had been with him for a long time. And the disciples were incapable of doing it in Mark 9. But then Jesus comes around and the man, the father, turns to Jesus and says, If you can, will you help my son? And Jesus said to him, If you can. All things are possible for one who believes. This man already had lessened Jesus in his mind, comparing him with his disciples, comparing Jesus' ability with those of his disciples, saying, well, they're all men, they almost have the same abilities and capabilities and limitations, so if the disciples couldn't, then Jesus can. Jesus says, don't you dare put me in that box. And then he says more specifically, don't you dare put you in that box. Trust me. Allow me to be God is what he is saying. Allow me to do the supernatural in incredible ways. Allow me to work and uh, inter- uh, work through your life as an ordinary individual in extraordinary ways. When a young man came to him for salvation... And Jesus gave him the command. He said, what must I do to be saved? He says, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. The man couldn't do it. And the man left sorrowful. 
and he walked away from Jesus. And the disciples said to Jesus in Matthew 19, 26, if he can't be saved, then who can be saved? And this is where the reality comes down to play. Man cannot save himself apart from Jesus Christ. And so Jesus said very definitively, with man it is truly impossible, but with God all things are possible. The promise, the miracle of the beginning, the birth that happened through a supernatural way continues to this day in the supernatural way that we are born again by simply placing our faith in Jesus Christ. The same promise can be fulfilled and that is life from death. As one wrote, he said, Sarah believed the impossible and God rewarded her faith. She received the impossible. The writer went on to say, look at Israel. Israel exists today because Sarah believed the impossible promise of God. He writes further, he says, look at the believers around the world who profess to be born again by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for their sins. They exist today because Sarah believed the impossible promise of God. When Isaac finally was born, these were the words recorded by the Spirit from Sarah. And Sarah said, she undoubtedly cradled that little one in her arms, God has made laughter for me. For everyone who hears will laugh over me, she said. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a child? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I've always thought that if I ever did my doctorate, it would be on God's sense of humor. I find it very prevalent in the scriptures. He says to them, you're going to name the child Isaac. Does anybody know what Isaac means? Laughter. You laugh at me, I'm going to laugh at you through the eyes of this little one. And that's exactly what Sarah acknowledges at this point. Each and every time that she held that small child, that infant, and nursed him, knowing his name to be Isaac, she would never forget that when she was first given this promise, she laughed. And God heard her, called her out on it, and said, a year from now, you shall have a son. And she had a son. Three things I'd like you to walk away with today, if you will. Number one, as we've continued through the Hall of Faith now several weeks, let us be confident of this, that whatever God promises, He is able to perform. If you agree with that, say amen. 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 That whatever God promises you, He is able to perform. Number two, never limit God by your own personal bounds of limitation. God is capable of doing so much more. That's why He is God and you are not. And I believe He's demonstrated His ability adequately throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. 
Don't ever limit the ability of God. Number three, when you are alone in your devotions and trials, troubles, and tribulations creep up in your mind and your heart that you seem to be surrounded by at that moment, when your circumstances seem overwhelming and all that you can do at that moment is pray and retreat to the Word of God, when you come to that Scripture that God says, I will see you through it all, be sure not to laugh at that promise. Because others have. And Isaac had to go to school with the name Laughter. Can you imagine that? Hey, laughter, come here. I mean, he was already sentenced to a rough life. Let's not laugh at the promises of God. Let's not just simply dismiss them. Let's not say, oh God, you will do that for someone else, but I have no confidence that you'll do it for me. He will do what he has promised to each and every follower of Jesus Christ. We are no different. The promises that he has made to me are the same promises that he has made to you. And if he's faithful to fulfill them for me, he is going to be faithful to fulfill them for you. I am no better than you. I am not in a special place of blessing and privilege than you are. We are all equally given these incredible promises that we can be sure of that God is able to perform. In closing, I'd like to read these words to you. For Paul the Apostle summed it up this way in Romans 14, I'm sorry, Romans 4, 18 through 21. Paul said it this way as he wrote to the Roman believers. In hope we believe against hope that we should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, that is, Abraham, so your offsprings shall be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah, he's speaking of Abraham now, and the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No belief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. When are we going to get that, guys? When are we going to let God be God? That's what the world around us needs to see. They just need to see God through us. We don't have to have all the answers, but we know the one who does have all the answers. And we just have to walk in that confidence. There are often times that we're going to be faced with trials and troubles and tribulations and circumstances that are beyond our capabilities. That's when God can show himself strong. When Paul found himself in places of weakness, he didn't shudder at those times, but he saw within them, this is it. Because when I am weak, he is strong. When I am nothing, he is everything. That was Paul's attitude. So let it be our attitude. Let us not fold, like some would say, like a cheap suit in the wake of difficult circumstances. Let us stand firmly on the promises of God, letting God be God and wait for him to do miraculous and glorious things for his glory. Amen.